Hello everyone, welcome to our podcast around simplifying for success. Simplification requires discipline and clarity of thought. This is not often easy in today's rapid-paced work environment. We've invited a few colleagues in data and information governance space to share their strategies and approaches for simplification. Today we'll be talking with Dan Dogendorf. Dan is a founder and principal advisor of Pro6 Consulting. Dan brings more than 25 years of experience in the field of information security and audit compliance. Previously, he served as a CISO and Global Infrastructure and IT Operation Lead at Corteva AgriScience, CIO at Dallas Stars, CISO at GameStop, Inc., Pension Financial Services, AH Bello Corporation, Head of Inaugural Computer Risk Management Departments for the Kansas City, and Omaha Arthur Anderson Offices. Dan, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much. October is a National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And as you know, the breadth and the depth and the impact of data breaches have dramatically increased during the COVID-19 pandemic. According to the 2021 report from IBM and the Ponymon Institute, the average cost of data breach among companies is now $4.24 million per incident. And it's the highest it's ever been in the last 17 years. The number of data breaches through September 30th, 2021 is, has also increased. It's now about 1,291 breaches this year up to September, which is about 17% more than the t- total number of breaches in all of 2020. Phishing and ransomware continue to be one of the primary attack vectors. So despite the importance of cybersecurity and obviously the increase in the number of breaches, about 40% of organizations surveyed responded to, uh, you know, how much cybersecurity costs them. And it tends to be about 10 to 15% of their total IT budgets. Um, Why is this topic of cybersecurity more important now than ever? Well, it's an interesting question, Priya, because I, I don't necessarily feel that it is more important now than it ever was. I think it's always had the same importance. It's just that now there are more high profile and expensive ramifications for, for not addressing it. Um, and so if you, if you take that perspective about it, even in the, the pandemic, when we were all go, doing remote access and that type of, th- or yeah, that type of thing, um, it had the right principles and, and approaches been put in place from a breach perspective, this, this could have been a pretty non-differentiating uh, environment, right? Because we should have always been worried about the remote access and what data they can get to and, and, and the, the exposure it is to our corporate environments. That's, that's always been a concern. It's just never been one that has really been addressed or paid attention to from a priority perspective. So as an ex-CISO yourself, how can a CISO make sure they're adequately protected against ransomware attacks? Um, why do you think it's not a very easy task? Well, I think there's a, uh, there's a few different things uh, that, that makes it challenging. One, and from a defense perspective, I am of the belief that uh, preparation is your best defense, right? So if, if you go down that path, you know, you have to take 
a hard look at your backup strategy, your data backup strategy, and your recoverability if an incident does occur. And talking about uh, with your backup vendor, whoever that may be, what is it about their product or solution that protects you from ransomware? Some of them have something and some of them, quite honestly, if you ask the question, they don't have an answer for it, right? Uh, I saw, just read an article this morning that one of the backup vendors is, is now offering a ransomware recovery warranty that if their backup system isn't successful in recovering your organization after a ransomware attack, they will pay you, I think it was up to $5 million. And it's just another form of cyber insurance, right? Uh, that's, that's kind of a cool thing. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. Uh, and if other backup vendors will kind of jump on that, but it's a cool idea. Um, so, so I think the recoverability is, is a key component. The other aspect that I'm a firm believer in is that the best defense, and it's always been this way is, is an educated user, right? If you have a very strong educated user group now you're relying on people and they and they have this security prevention thought process about it um and and that takes a lot of pressure off the tools right um so i think spending a lot of effort on security training ironically we're, we're doing this during security awareness month but i think that is one of the the best investments that you can make as a CISO is constantly educating your user community on how to protect themselves, not only from themselves from uh, as an extension of your corporation, but themselves in their personal lives as well. No, I agree. So, you know, one of the things that we always talk about is that security awareness, right? Training sometimes is restricted to just phishing attacks and then you have your acceptable US policy. And, but, but there's more to it, you know, even from a backup perspective, you talked a little bit about making sure you're adequately backed up. And part of that is the tools and making sure that, you know, the tools are working effectively. The other part is what are you backing up and what is part of your disaster recovery plan and what is critical and what is not so critical. I mean, knowing the differences and sometimes it takes more than, you know, just the security folks to kind of be able to put that together. So like you said, you know, awareness is very critical and you need the business users engaged. Um, you need IT engaged. And the only way they're going to be engaged is with more awareness and training. Um, you know, great thoughts here. So Absolutely. How you... and, and on the disaster recovery side of things, one of the things that I think people, organizations make a huge mistake about is they'll spend time doing roundtable exercises, which are fantastic. Uh, and they should be done. Not very many organizations actually practice their disaster recovery plan and say, you know what, this data center is gone. What do we do? And literally just turn it off. Uh, I, I've worked at organizations where we did that. And the lessons that you learn from that are invaluable. That makes sense too. So, you know, we're talking about you know, practicing disaster recovery, fostering a relationship. How do you foster a partnership between legal, privacy, IT, security, and for that matter, business as well? 
Um, what do you see are some of the challenges in your mind in achieving this, especially in you know larger corporations? Yeah, it's it, it's interesting um, because for whatever reason, that's always been a strength of mine is fostering those relationships. Uh, and, and quite honestly, I think one of the reasons that it a, a big obstacle to fostering those is just the communication styles, if you will. So many CISOs and security leaders uh, have come out of the IT world and that's what they speak is IT. Well, as you very well know, not everybody speaks IT, right? Uh, and so I, I, I kind of equate it to um, a, a foreign language, right? If I'm trying to build a relationship with, and we don't speak the same language, how are we ever going to build a relationship, right? It's going to be very, very challenging. Uh, and so one of the things I think is that the, the CISOs need to tone down the technology gobbledygook, if you will, uh, and, and just have personal relationships. And so much of it is about a business relationship. Business relationships are okay, but the way you really break down those walls is have a personal relationship. Maybe it's about baseball. Maybe it's about uh, monopoly. Maybe it's about spelling bee. I, I don't know. It could be about anything, but find just like when you're meeting friends outside of work, you have to do the same thing. You find those commonalities and that's what relationships are built on and, and understand what their pain points are and what their concerns are and be empathetic to them and not fake empathetic, but real empathetic because they're real problems. And they're depending on you so many times to, to help them solve those problems. Agreed. So we talked a little bit about fostering relationships. Um, you know, what are some of the challenges though? You know, it's beyond just, you know, speaking the same language. Are there, you know, true challenges in building this relationship? There are. Uh, and, and some of those are challenges are personality conflicts that you just have to accept and you know look we we're not all best friends with everybody we work with right and that's just the facts of life but you you fight through that and you you work with them together anyway and and you just have to that's part of it, it, it my, my kids have, have are uh, 21 and 18 and, and we're, we're having a lot of conversations about adulting and welcome to adulting right and, and I think having being able to have a relationship with somebody that that maybe you you aren't on the same level with um, is part of that adulting and, and CISOs should be leading the way in that regard, in my opinion. I think one of the other challenges is there's such a high turnover rate within the CISO chair that uh, more often than not, there are a lot of roadblocks and obstacles and bad taste in, in folks' mouth that you have to overcome to build that relationship. And because the, we, through some of our predecessors, we are instantly the bad guys. And all we're going to do is say, nope, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. One of the things we as CISOs have to remember is that the business is there for a different reason than security. We are an enabler to what the real purpose of that business is, whatever it is, whatever widget they're making or selling. We have to remember that we are an enabler. And quite honestly, the other aspect that I, I think that has served me well is realizing that we are not the ultimate decision maker on security things. We are educators. 
to the executive team who is the ultimate decision maker. And once they make a decision, uh, if we've if we've shared with them all the pros and cons and facts and figures and made them an educated decision maker, I feel we've done our job. Now, if they make decisions that are something that we just absolutely can't accept that liability or that risk for, then we have a choice of leaving that organization. If it's just something that is so, so bad. So, yeah, you, you bring up good points, right? So this applies to compliance and privacy as well, right? So you are educators. You can't, you know, you're, you're, you don't want to be looked at as someone who's always saying no, but how do you make, you know, bridge that gap between security and business, you know, make sure the business is able to function efficiently and security securely, but not stopping the business from being able to move forward. So that that makes good sense. So what do you consider to be an important aspect of your ransomware contingency plan? Should payments be considered? And also, how has the recent success of FBI in recouping Colonial Pipeline's ransom payment affected future attacks? Well, I, I so, asked a bunch of questions. So. Yeah, you did. You, you did. There's, a, there's a lot packed in there. So uh, I'll, I'll try to remember what all they were. But um, so from a, a, a preparedness perspective, I think it's some of the items we've already talked about. Educate those users. Um, focus a lot of effort on education and awareness. Have the recoverability plan. Have those discussions with, with your vendors on recoverability practice the disaster recovery plan and that recoverability of, of those backups that you have. Those, those are the key components from my perspective. Now, when you get into the plan and, and, and that type of thing, all the other things you talked about, Priya, I, I think are aspects that need to go into that plan and should be decided upfront. Are you going to pay? Well, if you haven't gone through your plan, First of all, figure out who's going to make that decision for you. I said earlier that that we're not the ultimate decision makers, and we're not, not even in this case. We're educating the executive team, that committee, if you will, that says, here's the pros and cons, and but it's ultimately their decision if they're going to pay or not. And whether you pay or not has some impact, a lot of impact on, on just normal business re, uh, return on investment. If you're have to pay $5 million. But if you're down for five days, you lose $25 million. It seems like the $5 million might be a good investment, right? To get it back up and going. Now there's risk associated with that because you there, there's not a lot of guarantees in, in the ransomware world that it's actually going to unencrypt. And the unencryption can take a while to, 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 work, to do. So that has to calculate into the ROI. And then it also, an impact that you have to have is who are you paying? Um, because you know there's governmental laws now that that you it's illegal to pay cryptocurrency to certain countries, right? So you have to take into account who exactly are you paying, and by paying, are you breaking the law? Which is where the Colonial Pipeline kind of got into that a little bit. They they went ahead and paid, but by that federal law, they were actually breaking the law. Um, so, and as far as the recoverability, no, I don't think that had any impact on future ransomware at all. It, it, it might, if anything, I'd say the, the, the threat actors learned a valuable lesson from that. It's okay. We've got a little bit more track covering to do. 
and we've learned valuable lessons how they track us down. And now we, we'll put in, in measures to make sure that they can't do that anymore. So what are some of the biggest challenges you faced as a CISO? Uh, wow. Um, so you have to keep in mind that I've been a CISO since the late 90s. So when, when we talk about biggest challenges, they're, they're, we're, we're talking a large time frame. Um, but I would say by far one of the challenges that every CISO uh, is, is asked to do is from board level kind of conversations is um, now that their conversation is in the boardroom. You know, how do we compare to others? What are the metrics? How do we rate? Um, all of that type of thing. And well, we're compliant. Why, how, why do we have to do all this other stuff for security? Um, my opinion on, on all those questions are that's just kind of a smokescreen. How do we compare to others? It, what's, the, what's the difference? It doesn't matter. There's, their risk posture is different than our risk posture. It, it shouldn't matter from an arbitrary score. I don't think, and I've had many conversations and, and many people will, will uh, disagree with this, but I don't think cybersecurity can be quantified, right? And I think all the efforts to try to quantify it are just kind of a waste of time and pacifying requests that come from the board that, that like numbers, right? Um, I, I don't think even if you try to quantify it, I think there's extremely subjective and don't mean anything. I talked about CISO uh, roles being highly transient. Well, the subjectivity of that score, that quantified score that CISO A put in front of the board is going to be completely different than, than, than CISO B that replaces CISO A in 18 months, right? So, so how does that help the board decide, you know, how they're doing type of thing? So I think, I think getting the right mindset and getting that, that explanation understood is a huge challenge that all CISOs have. I also think, I mentioned compliance. I think compliance is also a huge challenge for CISOs because compliance has this aura about it that if you do this, then everything is all good, right? And there's a lot of compliance aspects that really have nothing to do with security and it's just a checkbox. I have to do this to get the checkbox on this compliance certification that I want, that everybody has this false sense of happiness about, right? Um, so I think, and I've always had this approach, let's focus on the security program first, then the compliance becomes really easy. But let's not chase a, a compliance certification and hope that the security comes along with it. Yeah, I mean, I, so they're, they're meant to be a guidepost, but they are not the be all and end all, right? So, um, you know, you can say, for example, let's take the backup and recovery. I could easily check a box saying I'm backing up my data, but how good my backup and recovery process depends on a lot of other factors in terms of, you know, have I considered all critical data, recoverability in case of a ransomware attack, you know, how fast can I recover and how long is the business downtime? Is that acceptable from a loss and lack of usage perspective? Is that, is that you know, so there's, there's a lot, lot behind it that sort of doesn't kind of compliance doesn't track. So I, I yeah, agree. That, yeah, that, and that's exactly right, Priya. None of that comes out in any compliance framework, right? Or nope. questionnaire. 
And, and again, I think one of the reasons the compliance sometimes leads the, the discussion is because it's something tangible that, that board members and executives like, right? They get uncomfortable when, when they're spending a lot of money and they are spending a lot of money on something that is intangible. And that when they ask the question, okay, we spent all this money, are we secure? The answer is always no. That's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable to answer it and it's uncomfortable to hear the answer. Well, I'm spending, how much do I have to spend to be secure? Uh, you don't have enough money you know, to, to, to do that, right? And, but compliance, it's like, okay, well, if I do these, then I get this, this magical certification, right? And it's something tangible that I can hang on to as a management uh, executive and it makes me feel good, right? And I think that's one, one of the reasons that the compliance consistently leads security rather than security leading compliance. Um, what about system patching and vulnerability tracking? What are some of your challenges around system patching and vulnerability tracking? Yeah, so s- system patching is one. So not only from a CISO perspective, have I been doing this a long time, I've got you know probably 10 or 12 years of also running IT operations as well. And, and so I know what it means to be on the operation side of things. And, and patching has always been one of those mysteries to me as to why it's so hard, because that's really not. I, I don't, and, and I, I guess I would go back to the challenge as well, because there's always seems to be, it's, look, it's not fun, it's not sexy, um, and it's a burden. You have to generally do it after hours and nobody wants to do it. But there are also, so I get some of the, the rationale for why it's not getting done or this challenge or whatever. But to me, the challenges um, that are thrown out of why we can't patch this or that, most of them, there's so many of them that don't hold water in, in my opinion. Um, so I think it's just a matter of really putting some enforcement behind the patch management program. The tools are there uh, to, to make it easy. Um, and it's, well, it's inconsistent. We have, you know, this particular environment can't be patched because of this application or the, whatever it is, right? Okay, well, you should really only have to decipher that one time and then you build the rule around that. And, and it shouldn't be uh, a rationale for every month of why you can't patch that type of thing. Figure out that, that challenge. Now, one of the other challenges of that, quite honestly, is we don't have people dedicated to patch management. We're thrown it on top of system administrators or database administrators or network administrators as a, another task on their job. Why not have somebody that's dedicated? Man, all I'm doing is I'm managing and deploying patches. That's my job because I know exactly what that environment is. I know what the equipment is. I know what, I understand what this patch is going to do. I understand why I can or cannot roll it out. And I'm not distracted by day-to-day IT operations that this is down or that's down, or I've got this project to do. And so we're, we don't dedicate people to it. And I think that's a giant problem in, in doing the patching. Um, and as far as the vulnerabilities, uh, man, I think there's, I, I think liability gets in the way of vulnerability scanning and, and, and management, to be honest with you. So I, I think when you get a vulnerability report, it is daunting and overwhelming. It's like, how, how do I do 15,000 patches, right? I've got 15,000 vulnerabilities. What do I do with that? Well, there's not a lot of tools. I think some do, but a lot of them 
don't kind of summarize that up and say, you know what, these 6,000 vulnerabilities that we identified, if you deploy this one patch, you address those. Well, that's a much more manageable thing. So I think the vulnerabilities management companies can help us manage that a little bit better by giving us summarized reports and, and not so much granularity and, and just give us what's actionable because 15,000 vulnerabilities, that's not actionable at all. So. So for all the CISOs watching out there, if there is one piece of advice that you can provide or would like to provide, what would that be? So I, I, what, just one, huh? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the one thing that I would ask all CISOs to do is simplify. I think there is so much unnecessary complexity in, in the environments that, uh, and, and some of it is designed by CISOs, quite honestly, that, that the, the old school thought that I've never bought into is, well, if I make it more complex, it's harder to break into. I think it's just the opposite. The more complex there are, that your environment is and your protection mechanisms and everything like that, the more holes you've created that you don't know that you've created. So I would, I would beg CISOs to simplify your environment as much as possible. Any other closing thoughts? You wanted to give more than one piece of advice. So. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only other one that I would, I would give to, to all CISOs is um, don't be afraid to, to be true to yourself. And, and this is not just CISOs, this is all security practitioners. We all have specialties, right? And I make this a, a correlation to the medical field. They're all doctors, but a neurosurgeon and an orthopedic surgeon and a cardiologist aren't the same, and they're not interchangeable. In cybersecurity, we like to make ourselves interchangeable. Can I, can I do pen tests? Oh yeah, I can do a pen test. Can I do vulnerabilities again? Oh yeah, I can do that. Can I write a policy? Oh yeah, I can write a policy. It's not true. Right. So I, I would I would ask all security practitioners, be true to yourself, stay focused on what you do really well and don't force somebody to do something that they don't do well, because it's not going to end well. It's going to end up with this gap or this hole that we talked about from a simplicity perspective. Leverage the specialist that you need for the particular engagement that you're doing. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Appreciate your words of wisdom. And it's um, been very, very nice talking to you. Well, likewise, Priya, I appreciate the opportunity and it's been uh, great talking to you as well.